Good morning. It's great to be here with you. Uh, for those who don't know, I, I used to be the pastor of this church, and I retired a couple years ago, and uh, Seth asked me if I'd come back and preach, and he even gave me an assignment. I want you to preach Psalm 26. Well, I've never preached that before. I've preached Psalm 23 a couple times, but Psalm 26 was all new to me, and I'm excited to share it with you. So what I'm going to ask you to do right here at the beginning, stand up with me, and let's read it together. Or you've already seen it on the screen, heard it in the songs, different phrases from it. There's a powerful message here, and I can hardly wait to share it with you. But first, let's just read it together, right? Let's honor the Lord by reading this. This was written by David, and he said... Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. And go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Can I pray with you? Let's pray right now. Lord, we're here today by your providence and your care and your mercy over us to give us the health and the strength and the mental capacity and the emotional capacity to be here today. Please help us, Lord. Please teach us, Lord. We're here to learn. We have so much more to learn about you, about life, about our life. We're so confused very often by difficult and terrible things. And yet you still give us joy. You still come to us. And even even as we read these words out of your Holy Scripture... We're waiting upon you to teach us. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, listening, and those even listening online, that they'll hear the word of the Lord through your word today. Thank you, Lord, that I get a chance to do this again. And the joy it brings me, and the joy it brings these people to to hear you again through me. And And I pray for Pastor Seth as he's having a vacation, that your blessing will be upon him, refreshment will come to him. And I thank you, Lord, that we can be here today together. Teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Let me ask a question. We'll start out with a question. What's prayer supposed to be like? This study that we're doing in the book of Psalms is supposed to be a study about prayer. This psalm teaches us some really significant things about prayer, very significant things. And the question is, well, what's prayer supposed to be like? What do we learn here? Well, is it supposed to be long or is it supposed to be short? 
Is, is prayer supposed to be formal or informal? Is it supposed to be ritualistic or just kind of casual? What's prayer supposed to be like? Is it very personable or rather keep it impersonable? Are, are, are you supposed to make it mysterious? Is it supposed to have that mysterious air about it? Or is it just practical? You pray what you need. Well, this psalm helps us understand that. Um, the famous author, Tim Keller, in fact, I have a book I'm going to read you a quote out of later, who's gone home to be with the Lord just recently. He was a pastor in New York, and God used him in many ways. Well, Pastor Keller, in his research through the book of Psalms, said, you know, the book of, the, of Matthew, where we have the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, let me teach you how to pray to his disciples. He says, that teaches us how to pray. He says, but the book of Psalms teaches us what to pray. And what he's trying to get at is this. The book of Psalms helps us process our feelings. It helps us process our emotions. I don't know if you've ever used it like that. Like when you're real joyful, it helps you process that. When you're really sad, it helps you process that. When you're really mad, it helps you process that. What he's trying to say, Tim Keller's trying to say is, the Psalms goes at life 150 chapters of all kinds of different experiences of David and different authors telling about how they talk to the Lord and they process this with the Lord. The, the book of Psalms is rich. I hope you use it. I hope you use it to help you get through life and to deal with difficulties and to deal with finances and to deal with kids and to deal with marriage conflict and to deal with trials and physical and health things because that's what it's here for. It helps you get through these things and process them. It's a dynamic book full of great wealth, but you got to read it. You got to meditate on it. You got to think it through. That's what we're going to try and do right now today. I listened to a scholar one time. He was talking about prayer, and uh, he's you know Bible scholar. And he said, uh, "You know, if I'm seriously looking for what prayer is supposed to be like, like I just asked that question through the Old Testament, and then through the New Testament, even when Jesus said, let me teach you how to pray,' you know, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. He says, it seems to me, prayer is supposed to be brief, intense." and frequent. Huh, I never thought of it that way. We think, well, prayer should be really long to be really good. He says, no, read the Bible. If you're honest, it's like pretty brief. Even what we would call the long ones are just pretty short. It should be intense. Oh, it's seriously intense. And it should be frequent all the time because it's all about a relationship with God. That's what prayer is. And in fact, If I sum up Psalm 26, let's start this sermon with that. If I were to sum it up and say, what do I learn about prayer from Psalm 26 that we just read? Just 12 verses. I learned this. Prayer is simply living an open life with God. That's what it is. No matter what circumstance you're in, what situation you're in, what difficulty you're in, how happy you are, how sad you are, how physically healthy you are or unhealthy, it's taking that and saying, okay, Lord, Here I am. Okay, Lord, here I am. Okay, Lord, what can you teach me? It's complaining with the Lord. It's arguing with the Lord. It's rejoicing with the Lord. It's being with the Lord. It's opening up your life to the Lord. I don't think any human being can ever open up his life for the Lord without prayer. 
That's what prayer is. It's simple, guys. Don't make it complex. It's just you, you opening your heart up to God. I mean, they talk about foxhole prayers and things like that. Yeah, well, what's that? Somebody finally getting open to God. It's the opposite of being closed. Most modern people in our day base their life on what? Others' validation, your social status, your prosperity, how well you're doing, your health, how healthy you are. That's what they base their life on. We base our life on our body image. Fun experiences, now that's a big one. Entertainment, accomplishments, human relationships. Well, listen, listen, David knew that wouldn't work. He knew that peace and fulfillment and strength and power and satisfaction were all found in a relationship with God. So he writes this whole book. Almost every chapter in the book of Psalms is written by, the, by, by, by David. And it's revealing to us the, the, the thing to base our life on, which is our relationship with God. As all of you know, I'm a grandpa now and thinking about my grandkids and even thinking about my kids. We're going to go on a vacation together. What's the most important thing I could pass on to them? A relationship with God. I could give them money. I could give them stuff. But big deal. That's not going to do it. That's not where the strength is. That's not where the power is. That's not even where the fulfillment is. Even the satisfaction. It's in a relationship with God. And that's what we learn through this song. It's dynamic, you guys. I... I noticed as I read through, there was three metaphors, three images that, that David uses. And he used them even in some other psalms too. But these metaphors help us track our way through what he's trying to say and help us connect with him and connect with the Lord. And the three metaphors are just three simple words about walk, sit, and stand. And it's all about being with the Lord. Like, look at point one. Well, I was going to say, look at your outlines. You don't get outlines anymore. But look at the screen. Here's what it is. Walk where God walks. That's what he's trying to say. Look how this psalm starts. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. That's just verse one. But notice the, the phrase which starts with, vindicate me, O Lord. If your prayer starts out with, vindicate me, O Lord, what does that tell you about his prayer? What does that tell you about his situation? Theologians and scholars have speculated for a long time, like when did this happen in his life? And what circumstances? Well, we know one thing's true. He's in trouble. Something gone, has gone way wrong. Somebody has attacked him or something's going on. It could be his son. We know that happened. It could have been Saul. It could have been all kinds of things, but something's wrong. Something's not working out. Something's not going the way he thought it would go. Some maybe even surprised him. He's probably even a bit confused, but he's, and he might even be really sad. We don't know, but vindicate me, oh Lord. What does that tell you? This, if you've been there, it's, it's, you're desperate. Brief, intense, and frequent, yeah, this is intense. Vindicate me, O Lord. Well, that's the first words out of your mouth that tells you he's, he, he, he's in trouble. In fact, he, he might even be in tears. Uh, I don't know. We find this a lot in the Bible. I don't know if you're aware of that. I was reminded when I read this that uh, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, famous uh, preacher and theologian in the Christian Missionary Alliance, the group we're a part of, 
wrote a book once called uh, God Tells the Man Who Cares. And in that, he says this. Listen to this quote from Tozer. The Bible was written in tears, and to tears it yields its best riches. God has nothing to say to the frivolous man. Oh. Maybe David wrote this on the verge of tears. In the Bible, we see Job crying, Joseph crying, Hannah crying, David crying, Elijah cries, Hezekiah cries, Jeremiah cries, Jesus cries, Paul cries. It goes on and on. Why? Because they're opening up their heart to God. And you and I both know sometimes that makes you cry because you're finally getting dirt honest about what's going on. And it's just you and him opening up is the key to prayer. And we see it right here in the first phrase. And then notice he uses this word walk. For I have walked. He uses the word for. In other words, let me reason with you, Lord. I'm going to reason with you. you know, uh, vindicate me for I know, I know. I've walked with you in my integrity. He's trying to say, uh, I've, I've had integrity. I haven't, he uses that word waver. I haven't wavered, Lord. I've been with you, no wavering. I've been steadfast. I've been trying to follow you with all my heart. Now, isn't that, can you feel it? He's just being honest in. Come on, Lord, you got to vindicate me. I've been walking with you. I've had integrity. Can you feel his pain? Can you think, you see his tears? Now, he says, prove me and try me and test me. I'll show you. I'll show you. You've watched me. You see it. Look at what I've done. Now, this is not a frivolous prayer. Tozer said, yeah, God speaks to the man who's not frivolous. He's dead, honest, serious, and open before God. That's what's going on here. And then look at verse 3. I love verse 3. For your steadfast love, that's that word hesed in the Greek, a very powerful uh, uh, word that's even hard to translate in English, often translated as steadfast love, one word in the Hebrew, is, is before my eyes, and I walk in my faithfulness. I walk, excuse me, I walk in your faithfulness. But he says, for, for your steadfast love is before my eyes. He seems to be saying that when you walk with the Lord and you're honest and you open up before the Lord and you show him everything and you say, okay, wh- what do you think? Here's what I think and here's what I'm, you're reasoning with him. He says, when you walk like that, when you walk with the Lord, you get to see things others can't see. What do you see? For your steadfast love is before my eyes. Do you catch that? Before my eyes, I see you're you're loving me. You're caring for me. I see your steadfast love in this situation. I see your steadfast love in other people. I see you at work. You see God at work when you walk with God. When you don't walk with God, then what don't you see? God at work. So when you find yourself constantly complaining, constantly angry, constantly upset, you're you're not walking with God. You're walking somewhere else, but when you walk with God, you see his steadfast love around you. You see God at work around you. When you hear that person around you talking, and they're talking about, oh, the Lord's done this, and I've seen the Lord do that, and the Lord's been working in my life, and the Lord's been teaching me this, you go, wow, that guy's, that guy's walking with God. He must be. 
because he sees the Lord working. His, it's before his eyes. That's, that's significant to be able to observe here. Now, the other place he uses this metaphor, walk, is down in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, drop down to verse 11. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says this. But as for me, and this is like a declaration he's making at the end, future tense in the Hebrew. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Remember that out of the book of Joshua? And it's, it's right here it is, same kind of, but as for me, he's making a declaration at the end of his prayer. We're walking with the Lord. I shall walk with the Lord. Even though you can feel his confusion, you can see his, his, his cry for God to, to vindicate him because he's been a good boy. I think, come on, Lord, take care of me. He's saying, well, I'm going to walk with the Lord anyway. Yeah, I'm not feeling it right now, but I'm going to walk with the Lord anyway. It's significant. All right. You won't believe what I'm going to do next. I have a visual aid. <laughs> People have heard me preach, no, I kind of like visual aids. I'm a visual learner. And what I'm going to share with you now and show you is a little embarrassing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because <clears throat> I think it'll get the point across. It was sitting on my shelf when I was getting ready, and I thought, maybe I should use that. Here it is. Camera, guys, you can do a close-up on this. This is a sand sculpture. Oops, I'm doing it the wrong way. Da-da, that way. A sand sculpture. Um, and like I said, I'm a little embarrassed because I did this myself when I was 15. Okay, I'm 71 now, so it was a while ago. And... Uh, it was in my art class. My teacher's name was Mr. Schluck. <clears throat> and Mr. Schluck was not only my art teacher, but he was my cross-country coach. So him and I knew each other a little bit better than a normal student. When I was 15 years old, I was not walking with God. Not at all. And um, I remember when the teacher came by, Mr. Schluck, and he saw me doing this, and it was almost done like this. And he goes, Marty, well, what's that? And I'm 15 years old, so what do I say? I don't know. <laughs> right? I'm 50. I don't know. He says, wow, well, it seems like there's a lot there. What? He says, that, I said, well, yeah, the guy's kind of leaning on a rock, and then he's covering his face and stuff. Wow. It, it seems like... You're, you're trying to say something here. I go, what are you saying? I don't know. <laughs> I really didn't. Talk about not processing your feelings. Like, and, and as I've grown older, I realized, man, I was saying something here and I didn't even know it. It was coming through. Like, why did I do that? I honestly don't know why I did it. I guess that was like art does. Your feelings come through and it's like, here I was, feelings hiding myself. Talked about people of integrity. No, I didn't have any. I was pretty worldly in a lot of my ways. And I was hiding and I was hurting and I was bent over. And I was not in a good place. And here's the sad truth. It's broken a couple times, so I've had to glue some pieces back on. But uh, 
Um, when I was 16, it got worse. When I was 17, it got even worse. And as many of you know, because I've told you my story, when I was 18, I'd only been 18 a couple of months, and I went into my bedroom, put my elbows on the bed, folded my hands, and asked Jesus to come into my life, forgive me of my sins. Everything changed dramatically for me, just dramatically. And I really, really, really did, honest to God, decide, I am going to walk with God. Has that ever happened to you? Can you look back and say, yeah, there was a time I was not walking with God. But then there came a time when I decided, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to be honest with him. That's what it took that one night when I came into my room. I was finally opening up. Folks, it was a prayer. That's what a prayer is. You open up your life to God. That's what David's doing here. He's saying, okay, Lord, I'm right here. Vindicate me. Lord, I've walked with you. Uh, That was my beginning right there. Oh, there's been many prayers like that. But you and I, as sinners, have a tendency to cover up, to hide, to not be open, to not, not share with the Lord, not talk with the Lord, just plow our way through, muscle our way through problems, not deal honestly, not have integrity, and we just bury deeper and deeper into a sad place. Thank God for his redeeming grace, right? This is, this is what David was praying for. Redeem me, Lord. Be gracious to me. Yeah, yeah, we, boy, we need that bad. There's no hope for us without that. Thank God he drew me to open up and walk with him. Well, Paul, excuse me, David doesn't stop there. He goes on to use the metaphor sit next. Look what he says. Verse four and five, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. Those, that's the hiding ones. Hypocrites, they're hiding. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I do not sit with the wicked. Let's just stop there a minute. Why is David saying that? Because he's saying, Lord, I, I walk with you. I'm not walking with those people. I'm not walking with the, because uh, I was with men of falsehood when I was this. I wasn't involved with the assembly of evildoers. I don't even want to tell you some of the stuff we did. It's, it's interesting because if you think back, I don't know if you're familiar with Psalm chapter one, but David says some of the same things in Psalm one. let's put it on the screen for you ready Psalm chapter 1 maybe you're familiar it says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in, in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither see he uses the same kind of metaphors What's he trying to say? He's trying to say prayer and crying out to God is a thing where you sit with the Lord. You walk with the Lord. Your life is open to him 24-7. It's a relationship between you and him. That's so key. 
that, 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 that's what I think we learn about prayer from this psalm. It's, it's so key. Look at verses 6 through 10. Let's just move on. Verses 6 through 10 say this. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming the thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, whose right hand hands are full of bribes. He's saying, now I sit with God. I wash my hands, which is like a reference to the temple or the tabernacle, or you wash your, house, your hands in the labor to symbolize your cleansing, your openness to the Lord, saying, you know, like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what the labor symbolized. And so Paul, excuse me, I keep saying Paul, David here is saying, this is what's going on. I... I wanted to read you a quote from another book by uh, Tim Keller. In fact, Seth gave me this book to read about prayer. And in it, Tim Keller says this. Please listen to this. I think it's going to catch your attention like it did mine. To discover the real you, look at what you spend your time thinking about when no one is looking. When nothing is forcing you to think about anything in particular. At such moments, do your thoughts go toward God or away from God? You may want to be seen as a humble or unassuming person, but do you take the initiative to confess your sins before God? You wish to be perceived as a positive, cheerful person, but do you habitually thank God for everything you have and praise him for who he is? You may speak a great deal about what a blessing your faith is, and how you just really love the Lord. But if you are prayerless, is that really true? If you aren't joyful, humble, faithful, and private before God, then what you want to appear to be on the outside won't match what you really truly are on the inside. What is this about again? This whole sermon? What was David doing? Opening up. That's what makes your integrity between your outside and your inside. Just opening up. That's what Keller's trying to tell us to do here. Have a consistent life where your outside and your inside are saying the same thing. I think you can really only do that. We self-deceive. And the only way you can really do that is to walk with God, talk with God, sit with God. Sitting with God, as I read this through, it's like his taste change. He had a taste for things of this world and now they're changing. He has a whole new appetite for things of righteousness and holiness, you know? Um, he hates sin and he loves righteousness. Boy, is that true about me? I was not like that at this stage in my life of this sculpture when I did it. But boy, after I became a Christian, after I had that prayer, everything seemed to change. My, my tastes changed. My desires changed. I said, it happened to you. That's what, what prayer does. When you really open up yourself to the Lord, there's a, 
there's, there's this change that goes on inside. God does that. You have a whole new appetite. And to me, when I read this, especially this idea of sitting in verses 4 through 10, sitting with the Lord, I think of having a devotional life. Not long after I became a Christian, my older brother and other people around me said, well, Marty, what you need to start doing is having devotions every morning. Ah, really? I mean, we had a little bit of devotions once in a while around the kitchen table with my dad and stuff before supper once in a while. He he tried to, you know, we we were a church-going family, but... Every morning, like, yeah, well, I, you know, I got to work. I got to go to school. I got stuff. You know, it's like, yeah, take some time out to sit with the Lord. I think that's what David's talking about, taking time to sit with the Lord. I sit with the Lord, he says. Do you sit with the Lord? I mean, life is crazier now than it's ever been in America. Doesn't it seem like for us in our day and age, any in our life, it seems crazy. I think more than ever, you need time to sit with the Lord. Guess what? If you don't sit with the Lord, you're probably going to go separate ways. It's true with anybody, your wife, your husband, a friend. If you don't sit together and say, what's your plans? Where are you going? What are you doing? Where's it going? If you don't, Lord, where are we going today? Lord, what do you want to do? That's when you sit with, sitting with the Lord is what enables you to walk with the Lord. You got to sit with the Lord. The other day, I was being interviewed by a group of pastors because they wanted to know what retirement was like and they wanted to know how I transitioned so well with Seth. And they're asking all these questions. It was, it was an online thing that my wife and I were doing. And one of the pastors goes, hey, Marty, tell me, like, what's retirement like? What have you enjoyed most about retirement? And it just popped right out of my mouth. They go, wow, what I enjoy is I get up in the morning, I get my cup of coffee, my tea, I get to go sit upstairs and just, I get a lot longer just sitting with the Lord. I I mean, I didn't plan on saying that. I'm not talking about some legalistic format. I'm not talking about something you have to do. I'm saying something you want to do because your tastes have changed. You now want to walk righteous. You're trying to do what's right. And so what are you going to have to do? Sit with the Lord. And so what I do, I read the Bible. I read different books. I journal. Sometimes to help myself pray, I'll write down a few sentences, a few paragraphs of prayer to the Lord just to make sure I really said it. Lord, I really did. See, right here, Lord, I said that 10 days ago. I asked you. Right? I do that. I'm talking to him. He's showing me his plans. I'm showing him my plans. Are these going to mesh? Are we going to be able to walk together? Well, if I don't sit with him, how can I walk with him? Don't think you're going to get up in the morning and just walk out the door and walk with him. It's probably not going to happen. He's going to go one way. You're going to go another. You got to spend some time sitting with the Lord. You know, like I, I pray, I listen, I question, I journal. I I plan, I complain, I plead, I think, I memorize scripture passages, I study, I read my Bible, I meditate, I read other books, anything, anything, anything I can do to get on the same page with the Lord. That's why we sit with the Lord. I just thought this was so cool in this song. Okay, I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm changing direction. I'm walking with him from here on out. And, you know, Lord, I'm going to have to do that by sitting with you every day. If, I, if nothing happens out of this sermon, but you decide, you know what? I got to start doing that. I got to take some time every morning. I got, I, it might be 10 minutes. might be an hour and 10 minutes. 
It doesn't matter. That's what I told the guy I like so much about retirement. Yeah, I can do an hour and 10 minutes. I can do two hours. It's like, I like that a lot. Boy, does that help your heart. Boy, does that help your head. Boy, does that help you process feelings, which is what the book of Psalms is telling us to do. Ooh, ooh, it's so sweet. Why wouldn't you want that every morning? That's the taste you want long for, right? I'm telling you, that's what your soul longs for. Take the time to do it. That's so important. Well, then we finally get to this last part. Stand where God stands. The last verse, in the last verse, verse 12, he says this. It's almost like he's making a declaration. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Can't you just see it? That's what David said. I'm going to stand with the Lord. I ain't moving. This is it. Me and the Lord, we're going together. No matter where I go, up, down, backwards, forwards, I'm going with the Lord. I'm standing with the Lord. See, it's a declaration he's making at the end. Sometimes at the end of my time sitting with the Lord, sometimes in my walk with the Lord, there comes a point where I go, I don't I'm just standing with the Lord. I, it doesn't look so good right now, but that's where I'm standing. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's like David beating Goliath. That's how he beat Goliath. When everybody else was scared, afraid, and they wouldn't do it, he goes, well, I'm, I'm going out there with the Lord. He stood and he defeated him. So can you. That's the one God uses. He calls it level ground. You know, like we use that slang, I'm leveling with you. Well, what does leveling mean? It means I'm being honest. I'm being truthful. I'm being open. I'm leveling with you. I stand on level ground. I'm not going to slip. I'm not going to fall. I'm standing right here with the Lord, me and the Lord. So why should I steal? Why should I cheat? Lord says you'll take care of me. Why should I avenge? Vindicate me, O Lord. Romans 13, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I don't need to revenge. I don't need to take vengeance on anybody for doing me wrong, taking advantage of me, mistreating me. Vengeance is the Lord. If he says he'll do it, he'll do it. If he says he's going to take care of me, he'll take care of me. I don't need to steal anything. I don't need to, I don't need to manipulate so I win. No, Lord's got it. Or, or this one, fear. A big one in our life, fear. I don't need to be afraid. That's what David's saying when he says, well, I'm going to stand with the Lord. I've made these declarations, which you already heard all these statements about what he's doing, integrity and all that. He said, well, I'm not moving. Stand right here with the Lord. I'm confused right now. I'm saying vindicate me, but I'm just going to stay right here with the Lord. That's it. Not moving. And then he says this. Look at how it ends. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. The great assembly was the temple. The great assembly was the tabernacle. The great assembly was with all the other Israelites. What would it be today? Right here, church. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to declare you because that's where I stand. I stand with everyone else in this church. I stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I stand in the Lord and I come to the great assembly. Again, why do you want to come to the great assembly? You got a new flavor. You got a new taste. You want to do it. You want to stand. What's going to help you stand? Stand with the rest of everybody. We stand together. I don't know. 
you know. I don't know how to say it so powerful, but why do you, how in the world do you think this big church got to be a big church? Because a bunch of people decided to stand with the Lord. We're going to, yes, we're going to stand together. And we're going to give sacrificially, and we're going to trust God, and yeah, sometimes it doesn't look so good, but we're going to stand with the Lord. Folks, it's been that way from the beginning. I could tell you, because I'm so old, I could tell you so many stories. Like, Like when we built that first chapel, you know, it was just a bunch of guys. We only had 100 people in church counting kids. Probably almost 50 of them were just kids, so it's just a few of us guys, and we're going to build that little chapel. We borrowed money from our denomination. They said, you're crazy. He's not going to. I said, if we build it, they will come kind of thing, you know, because that baseball movie was big then. And uh, (laughs) so here's what had to happen. We had to get ready for the slab, to pour the slab. And to pour the slab... We, we had to get all the ductwork in for the heating. We had to get a little bit of wiring in. We had to get all the plumbing stuff done. We got all that. This is guys in church. We're doing all this stuff. And the concrete trucks are coming. I think it's L&M or whatever it was up the street. They're coming, 13 of them on a Saturday morning. It's November. It's going to snow pretty quick. We got to get this thing poured. This is the last day, according to the weather, that we're going to be able to do it. And it's raining. It's predicted to rain. And sure enough, I get up at home nine miles south of here and it's raining. Can't pour if it's raining. If we don't pour now, we've got to wait till the spring, lose money, all kinds of problems. We can't. The whole thing might be done if we can't. And we decide to go ahead. And the trucks are coming from just up to 06. They're coming down here and they got the windshield wipers on. They pull into our property, not raining. We poured all 13 trucks. Didn't rain. I don't know. I don't know what happened. We stood where the Lord stands. Are you standing where the Lord stands? That's what it's all about. So, so then people are giving, and they're giving unbelievably sacrificially of their time, their money, their energy. Over many generations, many years it took to get to where we're at. And people kept giving and kept giving. Why? They're standing where the Lord stands. We're believing what the Lord says. And then there's another one. Well, to build this big building... We called it the whole enchilada, and it kind of looks like that, right? The whole enchilada. What, what did we have to do? Had to get approvals from the township. Had to buy 100 acres here and spend $8 million just to buy the property and go to the township and get approvals with engineers and architects and lawyers and all that stuff. Finally get into the township meeting, and because one guy on the board was gone and another guy had to recuse himself, we used to, they said, you're going to have to get five out of seven votes. Well, that night, we didn't know it, but we only, we, we had to get five out of five. We had to get a perfect score or we wouldn't be able to build. And we got in the back with the lawyer, with the architect, with, with, with the engineers, all the guys, and we got in a huddle and we prayed. And we prayed and we decided, well, we're going up and we're going to stand... It was a powerful thing. We go in there, 
And we knew two guys on that board didn't want to give us a yes, but they did. And one of the heaviest donors in our church looked me in the eye because he was there and said, Marty, I could give you money. I could give you all my money, but it can't change anybody's heart. But look what God just did. He changed our heart. Right? Look what God can do when you stand with the Lord. This is a powerful song. I don't know what was going on in David's life, but it was something really bad. And maybe something really bad's going on in your life. It just doesn't matter. Honest to God, it doesn't. If you can walk with the Lord, sit with the Lord, and stand with the Lord. To to walk with Him, you're going to have to open up all the way. If that comes to tears, so it comes to tears. You open up, you tell Him everything. You complain, you can yell at Him, whatever you need. He can handle it, don't worry. Second, you got to start having time with the Lord every day. You're gonna, or you're gonna go separate ways. And then, last, you got to decide. There's a big decision. That's why this psalm ends with, "Well, I'm standing with the Lord." Let me end with this. This is not my church anymore. I'm just like you. I just come here. Boy, do I! I love coming here. Love it. I think I love it more now than ever coming to church. I love being with you people. But for heaven's sakes, don't stop now. Don't stop. You know how much more we got to do? No, you don't. Neither do I. But I dream it could be fantastic. Make this look little. Don't stop now. Trusting God for everything we need to trust God for. And the only way we're going to get there is we're going to walk together with the Lord, we're going to sit together with the Lord, and we're going to stand together with the Lord. Let's stand right now, and I'm going to pray with you. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus, recognizing that we need your help desperately. We need your anointing. We need your care. But the only way we're going to get that is to walk with you. And I pray for commitments of people here right now that they'll say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm like Marty used to be in that statue. I, I, I was, I'm not, I'm hiding. I'm not open. I'm going to open up. Go ahead and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I have been consorting with the wrong people. I have been hanging in the wrong place. Lord, I want to get right. I, I want to get right. Help me today to get right. I turn to you. You said, if I'll confess my sins, you'll forgive me. So I'm confessing that. Then maybe you need to move to the stage and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to start having a devotional time in the morning. I'm going to get a journal. I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to start marking it up. I'm, I'm going to read a chapter a day, or I'm going to get a devotional book. I'm going I'm to I'm walk with you. Make that commitment. Tell them that. Say, Lord, don't let me off the hook. Help me keep doing this. Thirdly, I'm going to commit to coming to church and standing with the, the assembly. I'm going to commit to being doing this together. There's so much more we need to do. I'm in, Lord. Let's go. If that's in your heart, just say it. With all your heart, open up your heart to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our cry. Thank you for teaching us about prayer. In Jesus' name, we recommit ourselves to you. Amen.